All right, well, is there a meal that reminds you of something or someone or some time in your past? So perhaps the smell or the spice brings not only warmth to your body, but to your soul. Maybe it's a comfort food your mom used to make. Or the pizza from the restaurant you frequented during college. Looking at you, Kevin. Or the, the food you shared on your first date. This past Friday night, uh, my wife made a meal when I was growing up called, we called Javanese. I don't think it's from Java. Um, I don't know the origins of it, but my grandma made it. My mom made it. It's pretty simple. You just get a bed of white rice, uh, coat it with chicken and chicken broth, top it with, get this, green onions, coconut flakes, almonds, sliced pineapple, rice noodles, cheese, and celery. Sound odd? It is. It's very odd. Uh, Again, I don't know why it is and where it's from, but when I eat it, I remember things. I remember family gatherings when I was growing up. I remember long tables at my grandparents' farmhouse, lots of people, laughter, fellowship, a little bit of tension because, you know, people are people. And there's numerous foods and drinks that kind of bring up those old memories for me, whether it's from growing up or as a grown-up. Perhaps you have those kinds of meals, too. A meal is a way to remember often, isn't it? Well, over the past month and a half, we've been working our way through a series of studies on the church. We began with a big picture, 30,000-foot view of the purpose of the church. And we we said the church is the goal of history. Uh, As we quoted one church scholar who has helped me to see how the church is this new people of God who fill the earth with his image. So God's design for our world back in Genesis 1 was to be a place where we were fruitful and multiplied. Multiplied what? His image. Image bearers, you and me, multiplying throughout the world, bringing more and more glory to him as we reflected him. And then we saw how sin corrupted that design, how we seek our glory, not his. But then we rejoiced that he did not leave us in that corrupt state and he sent his son to save us and bring us to himself creating this new people united to him going out into the world with the message of salvation and now when people are redeemed by jesus romans eight twenty nine says they are beginning to be conformed into what into the image of christ thereby bringing us full circle back to the original design of repopulating the earth with the image of God, bringing, again, glory to him as we reflect him. So that's a big picture of the purpose of the church. From there, we moved on to see how that big picture is localized in the Christian's life in the local church. So for space-restricted, time-restricted people like you and me, we participate in the historical, global church in space-restricted, time-restricted local churches. The local church, if you will, is our immediate family that we share our lives with while also being united to the global, fam- the global church, our extended family. So in the New Testament, we see people loving and serving one another in local churches, submitting to elders in local churches, recognizing deacons in local churches. And so for three weeks, we thought about those three so-called offices of the church, church member, church elder, 
and church deacon. Then last week we pivoted to consider the ordinances Jesus has commanded we observe as his body. The first ordinance, the sort of public entry into Christ and into his body is baptism. Baptism pictures this reality that has taken place in us. And it publicly shows our union with Jesus and his body. This week, then, we come to the second of the two ordinances given us by our king, which is called the Lord's Supper. So, whereas baptism pictures a one-time entrance into Christ, a sign of the new covenant, the Lord's Supper is meant to be a recurring, repeated meal of the covenant. A meal that reminds us of our salvation, nourishes our souls in Christ. Jesus, like he gave us baptism in the Great Commission, has given us this meal as well. So on the night before he was betrayed, he gave his disciples bread and wine and told them to eat it and remember him. So what's it all about? Well, with our time together, let's think about four statements concerning this meal. Four things. First, in the Lord's Supper, we feast on Christ. We feast on on Christ. So by nature, we are hungry people. God has designed us not to be self-sustainable and self-satisfied, but hungry. Hungry for something outside of ourselves, something we cannot manufacture alone. And in our sin, though, we, we often see so many other potential feasts. The world assures us that our hunger for meaning will be sated. Our thirst for happiness will be quenched if we just buy into its promises. I've shared with you over the last week how I've been listening to a series of sermons on Ecclesiastes from a, a, a pastor in the area. And, and I'm just struck about how the author of Ecclesiastes tested that promise from the world. And he said that he would fill himself with every appetite, every pleasure, every pursuit... But then he just concluded it's, it's just it's, it's dust. It's meaningless. And so where do we go for true satisfaction for our souls? There are so many good things to enjoy in this creation, in this life, in this world. But when they all fall flat, when invested with too much meaning and weight, which they all will fall flat eventually, where do we go? David went to God in Psalm 63. And he prayed, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Ultimately, our appetite for meaning, hope, and peace is only able to be met and satisfied in the one who has designed us for meaning, hope, and peace. And the Lord's Supper helps make this hunger satisfaction dynamic visible. So as Israel wearily wandered in the wilderness, they found their sustenance in the bread of heaven called manna. And now the church, you and I, as as those traversing the wilderness on our way to the promised land, we too, as we just sung in Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, find our spiritual provision and nourishment in the bread of heaven called Jesus. Jesus makes this clear in John chapter 6. 
It's not long after the feeding of the 5,000 and in a back and forth with the crowds, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus is saying he is the new manna of the new people of God that he saves He nourishes, he sustains, that he is our food in the wilderness, that he quenches our deepest soul thirst, that he's all we need. He says later in John 6, your fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. And then he says something completely shocking. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. If you read John 6 later this afternoon, you'll see that the crowds are completely clueless as to what he means or or kind of flabbergasted and and think he's blaspheming and and as we read john 6 now we're, we're kind of in the same ballpark right like what in the world is jesus talking about obviously jesus doesn't want us and it's a halloween season but he doesn't want us to be vampires right he doesn't want us to be cannibals he's not being literal jesus is not always literal right he says gouge out your eye and cut off your hand if they lead you to sin But he's saying that he is the very life they need. He hasn't come to just give them a new sort of manna or a a new burst of spiritual energy. He's come to give them himself, his flesh, on the cross to bear their sin. Jesus is saying that to eat him and drink him means to believe in him, trust in him, and what he has done to save us. That we must do nothing less than find our very life and our very salvation and our very hope and peace in him. And so while John 6 doesn't claim, and I don't think necessarily explicitly tells us what the Lord's Supper is or, or points us to the Lord's Supper, I think it helps us understand the language of the Lord's Supper. We eat Christ when we believe in him and that his life given for us saves us. So in the Lord's Supper, we are routinely reminded to feast on Christ, trust in him alone. We're reminded to find in him ultimate satisfaction, ultimate life. Friend, you cannot just flirt with Jesus. You can't just check in on him from time to time for a nice visit. You literally need to live off him. Tim Keller says we need to take Jesus in. We are to abide in him, live off him, live in him. For he is our very life. The Lord's Supper reminds us of this and urges us to leave behind the fast food of the world and feast on Christ, the bread from heaven that's never going to run out or run stale. So friend, are you thirsty? Are you constantly on edge trying to make your life count for something? Are you coming up empty in that pursuit? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. 
In the Lord's Supper, Christian, we fill our souls with spiritual food, giving us spiritual life, just like we might, after the Lord's Supper, go home and eat lunch to fill our bellies with physical food to sustain physical life. In the Lord's Supper, we feast on Christ by faith. Second, in the Lord's Supper, we remember Jesus' death. We remember Jesus' death. So this time I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. And as you do, remember the passage our brother Jerry read for us earlier from Exodus 13. Uh, Exodus is all about the deliverance of God's people from slavery in Egypt. And as part of that Exodus, the Israelites were given a meal called the Passover, where they killed and ate a lamb and thereby escaped God's judgment on Egypt. And year after year following that Exodus, Israel would observe Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, to remember their salvation. Well, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is approaching the death he knows is coming. He's told his disciples numerous times it's coming. They're they're a little slow, but he's told them. And I just think it's wonderful in God's providential care of history that the last meal Jesus shares before his death is Passover. Look at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sends his disciples to prepare the Passover. And then look at verse 19. Jesus is feasting with his disciples, and Luke says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You see what's happening? The Passover lamb is giving himself for his people at Passover. And he's symbolizing his sacrifice coming up in mere hours with broken bread. Verse 20. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Last week, we talked a little bit more about this new covenant where God in grace takes our stony hearts and and transforms us from the inside out by his grace, giving us hearts not of stone, but of flesh that we respond to him by faith. And, And Jesus is saying that the blood that secures this covenant is his own blood. And so Jesus here is giving his new people a new meal for a new covenant. They're not going to have to slay a Passover lamb after this. The lamb of God is going to be slain the next day or or soon thereafter for them, and that'll be once and for all. So Jesus gives this new meal to us To remember that the Son of God has laid down his life for his people's sins. To remind us. For we are forgetful people. We so easily forget God's faithfulness, God's provision. Even mere moments after we've just experienced it. It's like the the parable of the man who is forgiven by the master and then goes and wrings the neck of the guy who doesn't pay him back. 
Even though the old hymn says it's so true, it's so sweet to trust in Jesus, and we've proved him o'er and o'er. We forget when he's shown his faithfulness so, so visibly to us. And so the Lord's Supper is a meal that is, consists almost of like smelling salts for our spiritual memory. Reminding us the Lamb of God has been slain for us. That our sin has been dealt with. Back in Exodus 13, Jerry read for us. Moses told the Israelites regarding the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is kind of at the same time as the Passover. Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. And the Lord's Supper, in a similar way, comes to us as the church. And it's Jesus telling us, remember the day God brought you out of slavery to sin and death. And poured out the judgment for you on his son, the lamb. For by strong hand, the Lord brought you out of condemnation into eternal life. The Lord's Supper comes to us as a call, breaking through the crust of our hearts, crying out to us, Jesus has died. Do you remember? Find your all in him. It's a new Passover. A new celebratory meal for a new covenant. So, brother, sister, Christian, are you forgetful? Of course, you you know the truth. Uh, I think many of you can just regurgitate sound doctrine at the drop of a hat. But do you live hours, even days on end, without remembering your identity in Christ? without remembering and reflecting upon the fact that he laid down his life for you to make you his own, to bring you to himself. The Lord's Supper is for you to help you remember Christ's death. And friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian, this meal that we're going to celebrate soon and we're talking about here is not just a ritual for us. Many religions have sort of token rituals. It's much more for us. This is a reminder of where we have received life. See, sin, rebellion against God, something we all have done, requires God's justice. He he wouldn't be a good God if he didn't bring justice to bear on lawbreakers like us. On the sin we have used to ruin his creation and ruin our own lives. Yet in his mercy, God instituted this, this sacrifice system in the Old Testament so that sin could be transferred from the sinner to an animal, which would then be killed in the sinner's place, bearing his judgment. But the thing is, as, as the Bible continues, we see this animal is insufficient. It, it can only accomplish so much for Forgiveness, And so, in Christ, God sends the final and perfect sacrifice for sin. And on the cross, the sin of the sinner is placed on the head of the sacrifice hanging there. And he is slain, completely absorbing God's judgment for any who would turn to him forever. And you can do that today. You can turn and find salvation and cleansing in the Lamb. Third, in the Lord's Supper, we unite as the body of Christ. 
in the Lord's Supper, we unite as a body of Christ. So let me ask you to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Right after Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul is, is writing to the church in Corinth. And Corinth is a messed up church. So Paul has a lot to say to them. And one of the things that he's, he's concerned about is their, their taking in of the Lord's Supper. So look with me, starting in verse 20. Paul says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What's he talking about? Well, there's a context for these remarks. Paul is rebuking the Corinthians for their misuse of the supper. And here's what's going on. Some of the members of the church are not able, probably due to their kind of status and their work, to arrive at the gathering until later in the day. Those who are wealthy can come, come at the, you know, at the time. And, and if they're just waiting around for everybody to get together to, to eat this, this Lord's Supper, which was probably a, a bigger meal at that time, for that context, well, they're, just, they're just gorging themselves and, and leaving none for those who can't come till later. They're not considering the body. They're being selfish. So look at verse 23. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Paul is saying, the Lord, through me, has delivered this command to you. That's serious. You should take this seriously. And he gets even more serious in verse 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So Paul is saying there is a way we can abuse this meal from our Savior. He says we can take it and eat it in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? Well, in the Corinthians' case, it meant a self-focused, others-ignoring observance. We are to take the Lord's Supper with an eye towards Christ, an eye towards our own hearts, and an eye towards the church. Some people read that, that verse, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself, and they take the body there to mean the body of Christ, the church. There's different debate on that, but that's a possibility. And it kind of goes in line with the, the theme that Paul is enunciating here. So first, of course, there needs to be personal examination. 
The Lord's Supper is a feast of grace that that reminds us to check our hearts and repent afresh and ensure we are continually living on in the grace Christ has poured out on us, not hiding in unrepentant sin or hypocrisy. This is one of the reasons we eat this meal regularly, to remember regularly who we are, our identity, and then who God has made us to be as his people. Because sitting down for a family meal reminds us of our identity in Christ as a member of the family of God. This is also one of the reasons we make sure we have time for reflection during the the passing out of the elements or, you know, now uh, just kind of the holding of the elements while the piano is playing. And make sure we make sure we also have a prayer of corporate confession before the Lord's Supper so that we take this meal with proper hearts and proper preparation. And notice also this meal is a corporate one. Here at Loudoun Valley, we only take the Lord's Supper when we're gathered together for an all-church gathering. We don't take it in our community groups. We don't take it in our one-to-one Bible studies. We don't encourage people to take it during their wedding ceremonies. Because this meal unites the church together. Look at verse 33. Paul says, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for another. Furthermore, flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And look at verse 16. Paul says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. The Lord's Supper unites the church. As the pastor and author Bobby Jameson puts it, the Lord's Supper makes many one. A church is united in Christ and we're reminded of our union with him and our union and communion with one another, his body, in this meal. The supper is not only communion with Christ, but with Christ's blood-bought people in the church. It's a family meal. Indeed, this has been an ongoing theme in our series thus far. The Christian life from beginning to end is deeply personal and deeply corporate. It's both. It cannot be anything else. And so as you take this Lord's Supper here at Loudoun Valley, you take it and you don't put it in somebody else's mouth. You put it in your mouth. You reflect quietly yourself on your heart and the love of Christ for you. But you also take the Lord's Supper together at the same time as your brothers and sisters in the church. You take it with an eye towards the unity of the gathering, united in Christ with you by faith. The Lord's Supper executes this unity in the church in a special way. Just as eating together is a sign of some sort of relationship, then you head to a few weeks and Thanksgiving meal with your families, So our eating together as a church shows our relationship as one of another. Our relationship both in Christ and to Christ. Fourth and finally, in the Lord's Supper, we remember Jesus is coming back. 
in the Lord's Supper, we remember Jesus is coming back. See, I, I opened us up by talking about my odd, weird meal that I love, and you should try out, and my wife can send you the recipe, and you can tell me what you think. But that meal, and many meals we can think about, can remind us of the past somehow. Even, you know, even a ballpark hot dog, right? Makes you hear the crack of the bat and feel uncomfortably sweaty. But meals remind us, they remind us of people in our past, occasions or events or or holidays we've celebrated. Similarly, Jesus gives us a meal that reminds us of his death in our place, and it calls our minds back, back, former, past. But in our weakness, in our fickleness, we need not only to be called to remember what has come before, but what is coming still. We need to look back and look ahead. We need to remember what has come and what is yet to come. The Lord's Supper is meant to pique our appetite and remind us of a future meal. It's an appetizer. It's a starter. It's a sneak peek. See, wouldn't our lives be different if we were more disciplined to keep our vision on what is to come? So, Luke read it for us earlier, but turn with me to Revelation 19. We're mere chapters from the end of the Bible. And here we see part of the end of the story. And it's glorious. There in verse 6, John says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Church, we're headed for a banquet. We're going to a wedding. The bride, which is the church, has been prepared by her groom, which is our Savior. And what a party it's going to be. We're going to feast forever with the one who will take forever to love and worship. And so the Lord's Supper is like a welcome intruder into the routine and rhythm of life, waking us up and reminding us, this isn't all there is. This is just the opening act. You're invited to a feast. Sandra McCracken, the the Christian songwriter, has written a song about this idea, and she writes in the chorus, We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things, we will say, together. We will feast and weep no more. 
In the Lord's Supper, we feast on Christ. We remember his death. We unite as his church. And we anticipate his return. Christian, this is not a ritual. A mere ritual. This is a way we remember where our very hope and life is found. Let's pray. Lord, we are indeed so forgetful. We forget who we were, forget who we are, and we forget where we're going. Forgive us. And through this supper, give us a spiritual wake-up call. As we remember your death, feast on you. Unite as your church, and then look forward to the fact that this isn't all there is, and there's so much better coming. Nourish our souls as we tread this wilderness journey toward the promised land, feeding on the bread of life called Jesus.